Tuesday is Halloween, trick or treat. We don't have the number of children that come to our house trick or treating as we once did. I remember growing up, it was a big deal in my neighborhood. And uh, we would try to hit apartment complexes because we could knock on more, de- more doors quicker than you could spread out in subdivisions. The only problem was they weren't expecting us and so they had to scrounge around to find candy. But uh, trick or treat's a big deal for a lot of people still. And, and for a long time, I never really understood what that phrase meant. What does trick or treat mean? Um, so sometimes when, when kids knock at the door and say trick or treat, I'll say, okay, show me a trick. And they just kind of stand there dumbfounded like, what are you talking about? So I looked it up and uh, actually it means if you don't give us a treat, we'll do a trick on your house and it won't be pleasant. So it's probably just as well. We just give them candy and send them on their way before they vandalize something uh, valuable. But trick or treat also means something that looks bad turns out to be good. And that's what the cross is all about. Luke 23, verses 32 through 38 is a passage about the crucifixion where it looked like sin and Satan had won the day, actually turned out to be the greatest day for victory for you and me. Two others also who were criminals, stand with me as we read Luke 23, verses 32 through 38. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, which is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Pray with me. Father, let the truth of these sacred words Find a home in our hearts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. A long time ago on an autumn evening, an earthquake startled the villagers living on a Japanese seashore. Being accustomed to earthquakes, they soon went back about their business. But above the village on a high plain, an old farmer was watching from his house and he looked out to the sea and the water looked dark and foreboding and was acting strangely, moving against the wind, moving away from the land. And this old man knew what it meant. A tidal wave would be coming in soon, a tsunami. His one thought was to warn the people in the village below. And so he called his grandson. He said, bring me a torch because in the fields behind him lay a great crop of rice piled in stacks, ready for the market worth a fortune. The old man hurried out with his torch and in a moment all those dry piles of rice were blazing and the big bell rang in the village below fire. And so all the villagers came up the steep side of the cliff from the village, all 400 villagers, and they were coming to try to save the crops of their wealthy neighbor. 
But when they found out, when they got up on top, they found out he had set fire to the crops himself. And they said, are you crazy? Why did you do this? How does this make sense? Burning your own crops. And as they got closer, he pointed behind them to the sea at the edge of the horizon. They saw it, a long, dim line that was thickening as they gazed upon it. And it was a seawall coming toward their shore faster than the wind. And then came a shock, heavier than thunder. A great swell struck the shore with weight that sent a shudder up the hillside. It tore their homes like they were matchsticks. It drew back again and again, slamming the shore, destroying everything in its path. And finally it withdrew for the last time. And on the plain, up on the hillside, not a word was spoken. But the voice of the old man was heard to say, that's why I set fire to my crop. He stood among them now as poor as they were, his crop, his wealth, totally destroyed. While his sacrifice made no sense to the villagers initially, when they were able to look back on it in retrospect, they saw that what he did saved the lives of all 400 of them. What seemed like some kind of terrible trick turned out to be a wonderful gift for what he had done for them. 2,000 years ago on another hillside, another man made a sacrifice that saved millions of lives and it made absolutely no sense at the time. It seemed like a terrible mistake. But Jesus looked at the tidal wave of our sins that was washing over us and from the cross, Jesus said, it is for this that I died. The cross was not a trick, but it was the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you or me. And so there's some things I wanna say about that sacrifice today. And the first of all, I want you to know how voluntary it really was. It was totally voluntary. Nobody took anything from Jesus that he was not willing to give. He gave it freely and willingly from start to finish in any moment, any step along the way, he could have drawn back and said, wait a minute, I'm changing my mind in this and withdrawn himself from the cross. Has anyone ever sacrificed anything for you? I know your parents, your teachers, your friends probably make sacrifices for you along the way. I know our military and our first responders sacrifice for us every day, but has anyone literally laid down their life for you personally? During the Civil War, a company of Confederate irregulars called Bushwhackers were captured by Union troops. And because they were not regular military, they had no protection over them and they were sentenced to be shot by a firing squad. One of the Union soldiers came from the same town as one of the Confederate soldiers as towns were often divided back then. And he said, wait a minute, I know one of those Confederate soldiers, I know that man, he's got a family, he's got a wife, he's got children who depend on him and desperately need him. He said, I've got nobody. My parents are dead. I have few friends. No one will miss me. Let me take his place 
on the firing line. And the union officers were confused and they, they conferred among themselves and they finally agreed to do it. And so that union soldier took the place of the Confederate soldier and was killed that day by the union soldiers. And in a cemetery in a small town in the south is a gravestone and on, on it the epitaph, the epitaph says this, sacred to the memory of Willie Lear. He took my place. Can you think of anybody who did that for you? I can. His name was Jesus. And nails did not hold him to the cross. Soldiers did not put him on the cross. He willingly laid down on the cross. He willingly allowed them to nail his hands to the cross and his feet. Everything that happened, Jesus permitted. The Gospel of Luke makes this particularly plain. Everything that happened all along the way, Jesus permitted. Nobody took anything from him that he did not allow them to take, that he did not willingly offer. And they mocked him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's, there's a, an, a truth in the irony here. He saved others, let him save himself if he can. The truth is, he could not do both. Either he was going to save others or he was going to save himself. He could not do both. And so Jesus chose to save others on the cross that day. And he saved us by his death. He saves us from death. Death has no victory over us anymore. It has no sting. It has no separating power over us. There's an old saying that says, Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And what that means is if you've only been born once, you will die twice. You will die a physical death and a spiritual death. But if you have been born twice, if you have had a physical birth and a spiritual rebirth, having been born again, you will only die once, the physical death, because the spiritual life will continue. It was a voluntary sacrifice that Jesus made for us, willingly lying down on the cross and allowing them to do to him what they did. Not only was it voluntary, it was also vicarious, meaning that he took our place. He did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes this so perfectly clear, transparently clear. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. God imputed sin from us onto Jesus so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. I was thinking about that just this morning in my devotional time. I used to think that Jesus took sin upon him, that he bore the weight of sin on his shoulders but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, even more, he says, not only did he bear the weight of sin, but he literally became sin, which is why God had to remove himself from Jesus. And, and Jesus had to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God removed himself from the presence of sin, which Jesus had literally become on the cross. Jesus was bearing that sin. He became that sin on the cross paying the penalty in full for it so that we might be made righteous 
in God's eyes by confessing our sin, by allowing Jesus in that transaction to occur, to take the sin from us into his body, crucified on the cross and giving us in return forgiveness and the righteousness of God. You see, God was so holy, so perfect, so righteous that he could not be in the presence of sin. He could not countenance sin. He could not be in the company of sin whatsoever. And so when you or I sin, God removes himself. That moment when Jesus became sin, God removed himself. And when that transaction was complete, the weight of sin, the penalty of sin paid in full, you and I could be in the presence of God once more, cleansed, forgiven, sinless, because of what Jesus did. It was vicarious. It was also victorious. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. A lot of people thought he was just declaring his death. It's over, now I'm gone. It is finished. But what he was saying was the atoning work on the cross was complete when he breathed his laugh last and the penalty of sin was paid in full. That's what the word it is finished means. It's the Greek word tetelestai and it is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means it's past action, but it has continuing results. So it's something that happened a long time ago, but the, the results of it, the consequences of it still continue and will continue forever into the future. So what Jesus accomplished when he said it is finished meant the work, the atoning work on the cross was done, but it has lasting results and any who believe in him and confess their faith in him have that penalty paid in full as well. Paid in full is the word when you have a bill, the person that you owe that bill to, when you pay that in full stamps, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is paid on that bill. You and I had, had a bill marked sin, had to be paid. You and I couldn't pay it. We didn't have the resources to pay it, but Jesus did because he had no sins of his own to pay for. So he was able to pay for mine and for yours. And when he did, God stamped paid in full. It is finished, Tetelestai, on that payment. Right after that, the Gospel of Mark tells of two things that happen as a result of Jesus paying for our sin. The first thing he says in Mark 15, 38, he talks about the veil in the temple being torn in two. For a long time, I thought the veil in the temple was like our baptistry curtain that had a, was separated in the middle and you pull it back and open it up. But the Holy of Holies over which this veil hung was much too sacred to part it like that. It was one solid bolt of fabric, solid from top to bottom, from side to side. And the priest, in order to enter the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people, had to crawl under it. Nobody could see inside it. Only the high priest once a year could go into it. And so when Jesus died and that, that fabric was torn in half and it opened up, people saw for the first time what the Holy of Holies looked like on the inside. They had access to the holiest place 
in their religion, in their faith. The Holy of Holies was the place where God resided. And so it showed full and open access to God. You didn't have to go through a high priest anymore. You don't have to go through any priest because you and I, when that veil was torn, you and I have access to the most holy God personally. And he, he offers that to us. He gives it to us. And we can go to him and open our hearts and open this Bible and pray and listen. And we don't need an intermediary because that veil in the temple was torn in two. The second thing that happened was there's a Roman soldier standing there. This is only in, in Mark's gospel in 1539. He says, surely this man was the son of God. In 2347, he says, surely this man was innocent. But in Mark's gospel, it says, surely this man was a son of God. And the irony that with the Jewish religious leaders standing there remaining silent, here's a Roman soldier who recognizes who this is and what he's doing. It took a Roman soldier to recognize, to have eyes of faith. Surely this man was the son of God. And he believed that day because of the victorious sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. As Jesus was hanging there saying these last words, he was preaching to the most hostile congregation that there ever was. And one person saw and heard, recognized and believed. And it wasn't a Jewish person, it was a Roman soldier. God's power knows no limits, no boundaries. He died so that you and I can live and what he accomplished on the cross that day was a victorious suffering sacrifice for you and me for all time. There's an old Russian fable about a master and a servant who journeyed to a far city. And it must have been far up in um, the Russian geography because as they were traveling, an unexpected blizzard suddenly beset them. And they were overcome by the cold and the snow. The next day, as the people from the city to which they were traveling came looking for them, they found them in the snow. And the, they found the master first, and he was dead. And they rolled him over, and surprisingly, they found the servant underneath him, still alive. You see, what the master had done was place his own body on top of the servant's body. And the warmth of his body and the shelter that it provided kept the servant alive. How often do masters die for their servants? How often do wealthy farmers burn their crops for villagers? How often do soldiers stand on a firing line taking the place of a friend? Jesus did something like that, dying on the cross so that you and I might live. It's not a trick. It's the greatest gift that anyone has ever offered you. But like any gift, it is being extended, it is being provided, but it has to be received. It is wrapped, it has your name on it. 
from God. It is the gift of forgiveness and salvation, but you have to acknowledge your need and, and receive it and take it and take and open it and enjoy it forever and say, yes, God, this is exactly what I needed because I couldn't give myself this gift, but you have given it to me freely and graciously. And I acknowledge my need and I receive your forgiveness and your salvation and your Lordship over my life. No one can receive it for you. No one can make that decision for you. It has to be yours and only yours. So will you receive it today? Bow with me, please. God, you did give us a wonderful gift and what seemed like a terrible mistake, an error, a great tragedy and loss. Satan only rejoiced for three days because on the third day, the power of Almighty God descended and raised you from the dead and you are alive today and we are here to worship you because we believe. Help us, Lord, now to live in light of that truth. Help us to tell others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And help us to explain what looked like a defeat was the greatest victory this world has ever known or ever will. If there's anyone here today that does not know you, Lord, that gift is offered to them this day. Give us faith to receive it and accept it and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.